Hi, this is part two of my conversation with Maggie about the Lemonade Conference. I hope you guys enjoy it. Okay, we're back. We had a little bit of a electrical emergency that ended up becoming a web uh, internet emergency when we had a little bit of a lightning strike. So um, not near me, just in general. So we were finishing up with, we had just talked about the talk that Maggie had seen, which was about um, crate games, and we were talking about, or crate training, and we were comparing that to Susan Garrett's philosophy, and we were kind of going back and forth about that, and we'd kind of ended there, and it was kind of perfect timing to have <laughs> the world come crashing down on us, because we'd mostly finished that, unless you have anything kind of last second to say about that. No, no, that was it. Yeah, no, and I think... You know, to, to kind of just talk briefly about the idea of, you know, should we be using high energy games in a crate and is that causing, you know, that's one of those things where probably when it really comes down to it, it probably doesn't matter. It probably is just one of those things that we feel makes sense, but unless somebody's going to spend the years doing the research on 2,000 dogs in each of the two categories, I, we'll never know. I mean, Susan Garrett has incredibly high drive dogs. If her dogs aren't nuts in the crates then I'm going to say it probably works. <laughs> it does, but, but, it, but her her concept is it's such an interesting one. And it's something I that agree. it sounds like you're familiar with. I have never heard that that counter argument. So, so that was something totally new to me. Yeah, and that's what the point of these conferences are. Even if, yeah. even if you don't agree with what you're hearing or even if the things aren't relevant, you know, if I'm never going to use 20 markers, I can barely remember three. I mean, I'd like to, but uh, let's be honest. It's amazing seeing these trainers do these techniques and how they're working through the same problems we all are. I mean, that's, that's you know, training, yeah, it's a science, but it's also very, very much still an art. And that's what's fantastic about these kinds of, of talks. So we're going to bring up the next person that we both, we both watched his talk. We both geeked out on it because we're both that kind of person. And that, of course, is Ken Ramirez, who's always a favorite. I've heard him in multiple podcasts. And he talked about his concept training. Um, which is the dog's ability to discern right from left or larger versus smaller items and generalize that to the larger environment. And, and in this, he was really in-depth in the studies that he was doing. And uh, he started off with dolf dolphins, right? Yeah. And, yeah. and the dolphin one was freaking awesome uh, because that was about what the first one was kind of like a do as you do, right? Is that correct? Am I yeah. right? No, you it got was, it. Yeah. Yeah. It, it was a, it was kind of a do as you do with dolphins. And then the, the behavior that they chose to test whether or not the dolphin understood the concept is do as you do. Well, I guess we should back up. Do as you do is mimicry, right? It's teaching an animal to mimic another animal's behavior. So if I take my left hand and place it on a table and then tell my dog to do that they should take their left paw and put it on the table and it's how humans teach each other it's it's learning by by mimicking another another animal and but i think he actually did draw a line between mimicry and that i didn't understand the line but we'll use that word because i can't think of the other one um 
So anyway, they did it with a dolphin and they show the video and it was fascinating. But then the, the behavior that they chose to test whether or not the dolphin got it was this crazy complicated thing where the dolphin who already knew the behavior swam away and then jumped out of the water, did like a full 360 pointing in the air and then kind of came down, I think, tail first or head first. Yeah. But whatever it was, it was like super cool. And the other dolphin... I'm watching this going, well, can the dolphin even do that thing? I mean, <laughs> be like, do as I do, and then you doing some sort of complicated gymnastics move. And I'd be like, yeah, yeah that, that was ain't going to happen. the example that they used, too. Was, you know, I mean, it really it's not going to happen. <laughs> you can do it all day long. You can do the splits all you want, but what you see from me ain't going to look anything like it. Um, and then he moved to dogs for, for the same thing. Um, and they were doing some do as you do do as I do with dogs. But then he got into, into the, um, well, counting. They did some, to the, to the, yes, all the, all the counting was fascinating Uh because they had dogs who could recognize like 16 on a board. I mean, it was, I mean, I know dogs, I think, I think we know that dogs can count to very basic numbers. You know, one, two, three, four, they know that four pieces of kibble is better than three pieces of kibble and things along those lines but these dogs were seeing a board with 16 things and matching to sample on 16 where it would take me half an hour to count them i mean yeah they were they were were faster than i would have been yeah they were they really were i mean that was really and so it was really amazing to see because normally like i said i hear them on podcasts i i've never seen the videos and the videos are incredible uh, i thought of of Uh of the counting and like I said of of the um, just the whole the whole thing I mean it was just I was really impressed I was yeah. incredibly impressed well you know I love that stuff I, I feel like concept training is, is going to be the future of dog training I don't know how I, I want to see a way that we can apply it to practical use at a classroom or in a shelter setting and I'm working on it um, and I think we're close um, but you know, unfortunately, these that the, you've got to first train the concept, and then uh, you've got to apply it to these different scenarios. And it it really it, it's hours and hours of training and work. Um, but I do think that eventually we'll be able to use these training techniques in in our general practice. And I'm so excited. And there are some trainers that believe that this will replace uh, training as we know it. I mean, completely. Yeah. Right. Especially the do as I do part. Yeah. Uh, right. Because you yep. you bought the book and CD of do as I do. Yeah. Claudia Fugazi. Oh, good. Fugazi. Name. Yeah. Because yeah. he mentioned her as well. Yeah. And similar and, similar type of uh, training style and the doing similar studies. Yeah. Absolutely. And he but he actually does the well he was doing the studies but then. Uh, half the time it's like well you didn't dot every single i and didn't cross every single t and Mm -hmm. you know um but i thought i i personally thought it was fascinating and again i've heard his i've heard him speak a couple times and and he i i love listening to him talk for one thing i mean he's super enthusiastic and he's very cerebral and i that's a combination that i kind of (laughs) dig Mm-hmm. Um, cause he asks questions. And I think for me, that's the biggest thing about dog training is, is not giving answers so much as asking questions. I mean, that's how you move forward is can the dog, can we, we've been told forever that animals can't do X, Y, Z, you know, you've been told your dog cannot learn to mimic and 
and then you're you are faced with well okay but what if that's not true what if what the thing i've learned for all this time isn't true and i'll give you some great examples of this in the horse in the horse world we have a behavior that's called um cribbing and and actually it's a, it's a form of they they suck wind into their stomach they put their front teeth on a solid object usually a stall door and they pull back and it's a very weird they make this rictus with their face and they force air into their stomachs and it it's for whatever reason it releases an endorf, endorphins and it's it's a behavior that we see it's repetitive behavior it's it's not a good behavior. It, it ruins their teeth. It can lead to colic. It's a problem. And you're going to see it in these horses that are fed to the nth degree and left in stalls all day. And the argument is, is that if you have a cribber in the barn, that the other horses will pick up this behavior. And I've always been of the opinion that no, the other horses don't pick up the other, pick up that behavior. And, but I don't know if anybody's ever done the research. Honest to God, I, I've worked in barns with hundreds of horses and one horse in the barn will crib and none of the other horses do because we, because there's not an, because I think it, structurally it's not something a horse can look at and know what the other horse is doing. If that makes sense. He doesn't, a, a horse looking at another horse crib, cribbing does not understand that that horse is sucking air into their stomach. But having said that, do dogs who watch other dogs herding, who already have the herding instinct maybe understand it faster than dogs who don't watch other dogs herding. Well, you know, my, I think you know my favorite example of this um, in, in the shelter environment. Yeah, you so, gave me a great example. Go for it. Yeah, yeah. We had we had two dogs in the shelter, and one was, um, they were both very shy, and they were, they were being housed together. Um, and the other one wanted the treats, um, but, you know, would, I, I would toss a treat. It would, you know, carefully come up and eat the treat and run away. Um, and it was observing this other dog, and the other dog was this uh, Italian greyhound mix. And it was, it was jumping in my lap, and then it would claw at my face. And it was very gentle. I mean, it sounds like a horrible behavior. It sounds like something I shouldn't reward, but I, I thought it was hysterical. I mean, I laughed and I gave the dog a treat. It was adorable. I mean, this it was so cute. Um, and the other dog watched and it sat back um, and, and it slowly creeped up into my, I mean, it's so deliberate. I mean, it wouldn't even come near me. And it, it stood, it put two paws and I held it as perfectly still as I could and just waited and it slowly reached its paw up to my face and mimicked the same behavior and i, yeah. I just thought that was fascinating i this is dog i had never really met i didn't really have a rapport with um and and observed this dog doing this and this seemed to be the appropriate uh to, to this other dog the reaction that it should be to do it to get these treats and to to get any kind of affection it was is absolutely fascinating yeah, and there's and there's no reason to think that dogs wouldn't have the ability. I mean, we know that wolves. And again, he drew a line between mimicry and uh, the other word. And what and social learning? Yeah. So, is, thank you. Good God, yeah. I was just going to keep screwing that up. Yeah. Social learning and mimicry, and one is one is less. I don't know. It doesn't matter. But we know that wolves teach other wolves to hunt. We know that all predators teach all other predators mm -hmm. to hunt. I mean, most animals are predators are not born. They're born with certain behavior chains built in, but they're not born with the understanding of how to complete a hunt. We know that because dogs can't do it. And, and we also know that wolves have to, they teach each other how to hunt as a, as a group in a, in a group setting. And, but mimicry is different in the fact that social learning is, 
I, I, mimicry is is to the exact. You know, like, like the example you get, my left hand on on the, the table, you know, the left paw on the table. It is duplicating that result to a T. Okay, I, I think see. That's, that may be, and I could be completely wrong, but I think that is our major difference there. Okay, so I, I, I think I understand. So where the other one's a broader kind of, well, because he was talking about like, you know, like follow, like one dog following another is not mimicry, which makes sense. That's just following that's like a social connection. I mean, my geese do that. I don't give my geese a lot of credit for being, you know, mental giants. So following one another, you know, they all jump into the pool together. They use the same technique, but that's because they're geese and they only have so many techniques at their disposal. Uh, but anyway, it, it is it is amazing. It is fascinating. And I actually, because you mentioned the story with the Iggy. And then I remember a week later, I was teaching a parkour class and I had a dog. Now these are these, the, the three ladies who signed up for this particular parkour class have a very long teaching history with these dogs. Uh, these are dogs that they do canine freestyle with. So these dogs have a huge learning history. And I do think that is definitely important for all, all the things we're discussing today uh, or with in this particular situation is the dog needs to have a learning history. You can't start, I think at zero and, and hope for a lot of success here. So, um, except for you did get it automatically with the Siggy. Um, so anyway, we were... I, I think there's a way I think eventually, and this is me being a dreamer, but eventually I, I would love to develop a technique where we, we could have this instantaneously, but no, it, it takes a, a massive learning history and hours and hours of work. Yeah. That's, that's kind of what I assumed. So she was, so we were working at, um, where I do parkour in the park is we do it at one of those parks that has those those kind of gym, those random weird gym equipment things kind of scattered throughout the park with like an exercise trail is what they're called. And there are all these random items. And so one of the random items, and I'm going to try to describe it, and it's really weird. It has these two arched um, poles. That's for your hands. So it's like bridge and it's like the, like the railings on a bridge. And then it has these individual little foot pod things that you step on with your feet. And I don't know what the purpose of it is, is walking up and down stairs. I don't know. It's, they're all silly. So it's this arched up and down thing. And then these little round pods and the, the dogs have to figure out how to place their feet on these individual pods. They're individual little round pods. And so it's quite a complicated move. And so what I do in the very first night of, of park or the second night of parkour is I introduce it as a very basic. Can we get the dog to put front two feet on it? And can we introduce them the idea that they have four feet? And so um, this woman was struggling with her dog and her dog, the other dogs had done, had done pretty well. They'd, they'd stepped over the whole thing and she was really struggling. Her dog just was staring at her and kept putting two feet on one pod. And so she, and this is just happenstance. She decided to give up herself and wanted to see what the point of this ridiculous thing was. So she stepped onto it and put her hands on the railings and walked over these, these pods, these little floating round things. And the dog followed her. The dog's like, Oh, that's what you want. And after that, the dog got it every single time. It was, it was really, um, it was impressive because the dog had been thinking this through. I mean, she didn't call the dog up. The dog, it's not like she's traveling really far. She went, you know, the whole thing. I think she went three feet. So there was no reason for the dog to necessarily chase, follow her. And it was the dog I felt again. And I'm always going to err. I mean, when you told me the Iggy thing, I immediately was like, well, maybe it was this. Maybe it was that. You know how I am. Yep. I'm that, like, well, I did the same. I did the same. I, 
I mean, I, mean, I thought it was fascinating, but you know, who knows? Yeah, I'm always going to try to find a, uh, you know, Occam's razor. I'm always going to try to find the, the fastest, easiest solution. So, but, you know, you see things like that and... And I think it's important if you want to keep a scientific mindset to not simply slam the door to always be asking, well, I mean, yes, it could have just been happenstance. It could have been random. It could have been the dog following her. It also could have been the dog saying, oh, I see what you did and I can, I can copy that. So it's, it's fascinating and it's amazing. And I think it opens the door to a lot of new ideas when it comes to dog training. And that's again, what these yeah. conferences are for. I mean, well, I thought it was imagine fascinating. Imagine the possibilities, Leanne. Yeah. You know, oh my ima- God. Imagine you've got a reactive dog and you can approach a person and shake their hand uh, and show your dog that they're okay. And they've learned that that's, you know, to mimic you. Uh, and you see it in, uh, and Ken Ramirez is really big into uh, service animals, but Claudia Fugaza really uses this with service animals. So she'll uh, paw, you know, she'll use her hand to, to mimic pawing at a light switch. And a dog who's never, never necessarily taught paw targeting uh, will be able to, to duplicate that. And normally we'd start with a very complex, uh, you know, to do that, I'll start with a light switch plate and I'll put it in my hand and I'll teach shake and then I'll slowly bring it up and then it has has to do with you know pawing at the wall but imagine and these are single sessions you know the, the dog's never done that before and we're able to turn off the light switch and let the dog observe and, and do it again and i think the possibilities for um, especially and this is your your forte this is something you're passionate about for for dogs with anxiety issues yeah for fearful mm-hmm. dogs for shy dogs I, I think it opens up the possibilities i mean it's just endless yeah absolutely I, I, I endless agree. No, and I, yeah. and it's and it's wonderful because I think anytime you explore a new avenue to training d- animals, dogs, cats, elephants, whatever, um, I think, I think it's, I mean, no matter where it ends up, it's wonderful that we're willing to open the door and take the chances, and that we are now beginning to explore. Well, what what can we try? What can what new things are there available? And because that does nothing but make you a stronger trainer. I mean, I think the more you question the things that you do, the stronger you are with the things that you end up choosing to do. Well, and you know, I have another theory about this too. And I think I've spoken to you about this as well, Leanne. So I'm really big on colors. Yes. I love to teach colors. I think it's so easy and I love to do it with my shy dogs because I'll, I'll get dogs in the shelter that are are terrified to sit. You know, I, I, I there's no way I could lure a dog into a sit because I'd have to bring a hand up over the dog's right. head. Yeah. And, I, and I, it's a huge success that I can get the dog to do a palm target or take a treat from my hand. And so I can take that palm target and without having to approach me, I can hold my hand out and I can take a color card or even a flash card. Um, and I can name that color and you wouldn't be I mean you would be surprised with these dogs that don't have any learning history they don't have anything I mean I've barely taught I've taught a marker word yes I've taught a palm target uh, I've taught touch so and and then I teach a, a couple of colors I usually start with blue and yellow because uh, that's what they can see yeah <laughs> good to start with what they can see and uh, so I start with blue and I start with yellow um, until we are consistent. And then we start to work on different colored objects. And you would not believe how quickly they are able to identify the colors in objects they have not been exposed to. So it does a couple of things. It improves confidence because they're targeting objects that they, and, and we're talking about dogs who might be afraid of a toy in their kennel. You know, I mean, any, any uh, novel object they're afraid. But we've opened up the lines of communication and 
all of a sudden we have a dog who's generalizing. And when you teach that skill, we, we've talked about this before with, um, you know, impulse control versus, right. you know, a, <laughs> stimulus control. <laughs> yes, yes, yes. And, and where does this line draw? I, I think that generalization can actually be taught as a, a, a separate training, as a skill. And I think concept training allows us to do that. Yes. And, um, and I think that, I mean, that's where we really run into trouble. Where do these arguments lie? You know, it's because we do not believe that dogs can generalize. Well, can they? Maybe they can't, but they can be taught to. And that is something phenomenal. And I have seen more, you know, uh, more progress in, in these, these really shy dogs by, by playing with some of these concepts with, you know, because I can't. I can't teach anything else because the dog isn't open to it yet. I mean, they're too terrified. And yeah. I don't blame them. You know, they're, they're straight out of their, you know, home. They're forever home and into this, well, not forever home, and into the shelter environment. <laughs> Everything's foreign. You know, yeah. it's, it's very frightening. Yeah, and uh, it, it, it really is. It's something else. And I, I really hope we, I, I, I can't wait to see more. Yeah, it's very exciting. It's a very exciting place to start. And, and, I'm, and, and again, it's cool because you and I pursue different, different things. Like, I don't think I'll ever teach my dogs colors. And so it's wonderful that we're able to come, to come together and see where we're both going. And that's where the awesome geekery happens is, is the direction you're going and the direction I'm going and then finding out what works and what doesn't work and what we're discovering and, and what can be empowering to help our dogs, which is, of course, the sole purpose is to help, to help these dogs. I mean, yeah, I like to have a flashy heel and I like to, you know, go to a rally competition and not look like a dipshit. But, you know, that's not my bread and butter. My bread and butter is helping anxious dogs feel more confident. And, and again, that's based on a generalization. Confidence is a generalization of I, I own this world, all of it, you know, that this thing isn't scary and that thing isn't scary and the whole world's not scary. And it's a generalization. And so they do have to learn to generalize from very basic, very small wins, so yeah, I thought I thought that was a really wonderful talk. Um, so let's move on. So I'm going to geek out about my favorite talk and or one of my favorite talks that I've seen before. And I know you, I, I'm pretty sure you saw it. You saw the Le Leslie McDivitt pattern games, right? I did. Yep. Yeah. And you know, I'm a huge. Maggie knows I'm a huge aficionado of pattern games. I I love the power of pattern, and and I think that it's, I think it's underutilized in dogs to create calm in dogs and I've seen this I had seen this webinar before but again I it, sometimes it's important to see it multiple times and I I'm already a huge convert I've already believe in it and I use it in my training a lot and I've uh, I've made some amendments to her her pattern games all trainers do we all steal stuff and then we change them um, that way it's mine now I, I can patent it <laughs> <laughs> and make a fortune no but uh, but I do change them a little bit but I think it creates I think it gives dogs a chance to feel empowered I think it gives dogs a chance to opt out I think it gives us an idea to a way to ground them in in a new situation I mean I think 
I, I personally feel that it's a, and it's very easy for owners, which again, for me as a dog trainer who works with the, with the public, I have, it does me no good to have a super amazing concept that I can train dogs if the owners can't make it work in the real world. But putting three bowls on the ground and walking between them, dropping food that an owner can do. And so now I had you, you, you knew about pattern games, but have you watched this webinar before? No, no. Now, did you see this one before? Yeah, I'd seen this one before. Okay, I thought so. Mm-hmm. Yeah. <laughs> so what was your take? I mean, I like pattern games. They're not, I mean, I I will occasionally implement them. And, and that, honestly, is, is because of your influence, uh, because of your successes with them. Uh, but I, I get bored myself. I... <laughs> like okay come on let's get some flashcards out you know let, let's learn the difference between zebra and narwhal um so i just i and i do think they're calming and i do think they're wonderful but i you are the 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 pattern queen because i'm lazier than you i'm a much lazier trainer than you are <laughs> i just walk past and drop <laughs> drop food rewards <laughs> no yeah. i do i do think it, it is a great place to start and it's it i mean there, there's so much there, it's another concept where there's so much that you can do and there's so many games that you could play with with dogs with pattern games and, and there's i mean uh, you know the one that I like the best. Uh, talk a little bit. It's it's one of the first videos that you did, um, and you were working with Chase, and you were doing the the pattern game where you were you were dropping the treat in the food bowl, but you were also incorporating the stick. Do you remember that? Oh yeah, that was that was not a pattern game. It was that, a little bit of a pattern well, game. Well, okay, so there was yeah, I guess there was a little bit of a pattern in there. You so were what combining it, them with a confidence building exercise. Right. So what it is is Jace came to me. He's an extraordinarily fearful dog, and his his owner bought him or got him from the shelter to be a service dog for her um, because the last one she picked was even a bigger catastrophe when it came to being fearful and he he was already I think when she got him from the shelter I think he was already eight or nine months old no he was found wandering the desert so we know this is a very well socialized dog and he was fearful he came the first day of my class and hid in the corner and then never came to class again because he got valley fever so bad that they thought she thought they were going to lose him and so he ended up being hospitalized in again on again in the vet for I think another six to eight months before she was able to start training. So by the time she was able to start training with me, he was well over a year old. And he took, a, he took I think, three or four hours to get him out of the crate. I mean, it was one of those kind of deals. Beautiful dog, a big cinnamon, lanky mixture of, who knows, mystery dogs. And just the coolest dog. I love this dog. And we, I've been working with him for a while. And one of, one of the things that he's frightened of is noise. He has a, he's, he's frightened of movement and he's frightened of noises. So what I did is I was, I was decided to create a situation where he could control whether or not noises happened. So I took a long plastic stick and that was movement. And I had a food dish with food bowl. And the deal was if he looked at me, the stick would make a noise. I'd tap the stick on a chair or something like that. And then he'd receive a treat. But didn't you start with pattern games? I don't think dish? I don't think I did. Um, I don't think I did. No, I, d- I thought I, I remember. I, I thought I honestly don't remember the video. <laughs> okay, 
But I, but I know what I was doing because I, I do. Well, I was because the, so yeah. it was to some extent because the food made a noise in the dish. So I actually just started by dropping the food into the yes, dish. Yes, that's and then right. Because he was frightened of he just, was frightened. just the, the drop. Yeah, so that's it wasn't really a pattern game so much as I dropped the food into the dish. If he took the food, then and then he'd get another reward away because I always use a double reward system where he... Because I don't want the dog to feel like he's trapped into getting the food. That, I don't think that's fair. So if he came towards the bowl, he'd, get, he'd drop the food in the bowl, I'd mark yes, and then treat away. So he could choose to grab the food out of the bowl, but he always got rewarded away from the bowl. That is really important to me. Orienting towards the bowl, dropped another food into the bowl, reward away. As he progressed, he was able to get the food out of the bowl. He discovered that there was a whole bunch of food by that point. And then we moved on to the stick and the chair. And again, it was, he would look at me, orient towards me. I'd tap the stick on the chair, mark yes. And, and actually I was starting to try to use the actual noise as a marker. So the tap was the yes. And then the food was arriving in the bowl. You so. should link this video into that. I mean, I, I guess to, it's a yeah. little off topic. I, I guess I'm, I, uh, <laughs> but, but I, I just love it. And I, I think you, your listeners will really enjoy that, actually, to, to watch you work uh, with him. Because I, I think that's a fascinating exercise. And you can really see him progress throughout the video. And it's really fun. And he's, he's become an amazing dog. Oh, my God. He is so much fun. Okay. But we did get off topic. So, um... All right, Where were we? Games. Oh yeah, 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 yeah. So I'm a geek about them, and you're, and but you I'm a see, nag, give or take, you know. Yeah, and again, that's the difference between a lazy trainer and one who's not. <laughs> I don't know about that. <laughs> oh my God, yeah, it's true. Okay, so, <laughs> so one of the one of the ones that I totally geeked out on, and I have to watch it at least 20 more times. That you, I don't think you saw it at all. Oh, really? was was Kamal Fernandez. And Oh right, right, right. This is the guy that I that my coworker oh. has a crush on. Oh my god, Loves he's this amazing. Guy. Love this guy. So it was a six AM class, which for me is about two AM because I'm not a morning person. Even though right? this is all those times. That's yeah, why I didn't see it. Yeah, it was I, I did miss those really early ones. I, I made the first day. The other two days, I wasn't doing it. Not I was so much. Up too late. Yeah. <laughs> and I really wanted to see him because it was about reducing and reinforcement for sport dogs. And obviously, sport dogs is my thing. And oh my, it was so. So, what he said at the beginning was that he'd taken a two hour talk and he'd reduced it to a one hour talk. And I feel that he did it by talking faster. <laughs> <laughs> I feel like it was like actually a four-hour talk that he just did really, really fast. There was so, so much value in this one, like, ridiculous one-hour thing. I felt like it was six hours of, of information wedged into this one. It was, it was just unbelievable. I mean, just the, every detail. So, so what, what it was, was it about? Yeah. Okay, so about? mostly what it was about was using behaviors at, to create a behavior chain where the behavior itself is reinforcing enough that you can use the behavior as reinforcement in the show ring. So, oh, like a like a palm touch when you jump no, up. Um, yes, yes, exactly like that. And so, but then we were talking about. So one of the questions, obviously, is rally o. So in obedience, 
right? In true obedience, you have the, the judge says, do, I've never done obedience, do X. And then you do X. And then they say, I think exercise finish. And yep. then you can, you can play with your dog. You can, you can touch your dog and play with your dog and do things with your dog to, to some extent. extent. Yeah. To you extent. can't, you can't go berserk, <laughs> yeah. but you can. So the, what his, his, what his premise is, is that you utilize that time because your dog is obviously not getting uh, a reward like a treat or a toy. So what you do is you build enough reward history into, say, uh, like Maggie was saying, like a, to- a hand touch or something along those lines, that that, that itself becomes that you're able to transfer that to become a reward. So I was looking at it as rally O because obviously in rally obedience, which is what I actually compete in, there is no, you don't get that. You don't get exercise finish that you, it's a whole pattern. It's, it's the whole thing. So the way I'm looking at it is I need to build so much reinforcement history into heal that heal itself becomes a reward so that my dogs look at heel. So I need to put a lot of animation in my heel. I really like flashy, fancy heels. I actually prefer the kind of heels that you see in bite work dogs. I love those. Yeah, I do too. I, yeah. I like to teach my heel. They're I, I beautiful. Like uh, yeah, I do. I like it too. I, I like love it. it. So I, I love, oh, it's, it's animated fun. and the dog looks filled with joy and happiness. They're not flat. So I want to put that in the, I want to build such a huge reward history into my dogs that they actually see heal as a reward for the behaviors that they just did. And that's kind of what he's talking about. One of the 50 million things that he talked about. It was so in depth. I'm gonna have to watch this like five times. Um, so I've, I've got a question about this, Leanne. Sure. So, so I, I have incorporated this, this concept into my training, but I've always allowed the dog to choose the behavior. So, for example, maybe heel was the reinforcer, or maybe it was something else. So maybe it was that palm touch, or maybe it was that, uh, you know, for Bob, we do something called paws up, where he has to put his paws up on your arm. That right. is so fun to jump up. And then, you know, my, my previous, my, my actual sport dog, we did German Shepherd, which was the oh, I remember that. end all of end all. <laughs> I love of, that dog. Oh, my God. Yeah. we. <laughs> I, his, so in my, fun. In my making fun of bite work um, trainers, <laughs> I taught my miniature cattle dog to latch onto my arm and hang there while I ran. So it, it really hurt, but she never broke the skin. But it was, it was awesome. hysterical. It was just hysterical. Oh, I remember um, that. Oh, she'd get so excited. I, we started to use that as a reward. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. So, so, so my question to you is, how do you build that into something that the dog, you know, I feel like the dog, just like a dog chooses this reinforcement uh, as far as right. food or choice. How do you make that, that behavior, that reinforcing? Yeah, you know, if I knew that, I think I'd be a millionaire. Um, <laughs> but, but, having, but having said that, I know that we can transfer value. So if you, I know that, I know that as an example, if you have a dog who hates playing with toys, that you can reward play, uh, toy play with yeah. food. Yeah, and you can... Susan, Susan Garrett does a bunch of drive games that way. I, okay. I actually am a big fan of those. Okay, and that you can transfer the value. So what I'm thinking, this is my thought, and I haven't started it yet, so whether or not it works, we'll see. Um, with Tag especially. So Tag has a very flashy, cute little heel. I wouldn't say flashy because flashy is like way above her pay grade. Um, it's cute. <laughs> she has an enthusiastic and cute heel. 
And I'm thinking of building, using a lot of my quacking noise that I made earlier. <laughs> I to, can't wait to see that in the room. <laughs> <laughs> to, to, to create a lot of interruptions in her heel where we stop and play. So, because for her, it's, it's, she's, she is toy driven, but I can't bring a toy into the, into the ring, but I can do, I can, I can make some animation. So what I'm thinking is, is, and I still walk my way through this because of course a marker is no good if it's not rewarded. But one of his things was that, you know, you can make markers kind of compile and at the end you can have like the super reward. Um, and I don't know what the science is on that, but I, I can see that being a thing. I mean, I've heard of a lot of, of trainers, uh, especially in the agility ring where the toy, the thing is outside the ring and they reward, they reward out, um, outside the ring and the dog was willing to work for that. Now agility is easier because for a lot of dogs, the act of agility is rewarding because it's running around and being crazy. But I can see how I'm trying to think, I think that I can make a heel for now not dice because dice's heel looks like he's being marched off to his death and it is he's awful in the heel he just looks like he's being murdered so he will never i i don't know how i could ever transfer enough joy to a heel to make it go flip it from this is torture and why you're doing this to me you must hate me so so much i'm calling the aspca on you to we i love doing this now dice does have a ward because you were talking about that he has what i call his squirrel which is a sit pretty and we actually use that as a start button behavior to for him to tell me that he that's his he loves sit pretty and he'll give it actually it's embarrassing in the rally ring because he'll sometimes give it to me in a sit oopsie well, the butt part's sitting, just not the front end. <laughs> Who was that? There was some dog that won like Westminster a couple of years ago that kept sit prettying in the ring. Who was that? It was like a border terrier or something. I don't I, know. I have no you idea. Have I never watched them. The, oh, it was so funny. <laughs> it just, it loves sit pretty. At the end, it's separate. The, the crowd went wild. It was great. It was oh, great. that sounds amazing. So, yeah. so, yeah. So there was so much in this. And the other thing was he also did some stuff about kind of getting attention for the dog. I mean, it was just... I thought it was, it was, it was just jam packed. There was so much depth to it. And, um, it, it's, you know, and people think, well, well, that's not, any, there's no, no value for that for people who don't compete. But the fact of the matter is, unless you carry, I don't carry a treat bag on me all the time. I have better things to do. I keep losing them, honestly. And people don't want to carry treat bags on them all the time. So they are essentially in the ring they need to find other reward systems that they can use. Now, the good news is, is that you can use play and petting and you can touch your dog and things like that. But I think being able to transfer a reward system to a behavior that your dog is willing to give and feels rewarded for giving it, that is, that is incredibly powerful, I think. Yeah. I think it's powerful, yeah. not just for competition people, but for, for everybody else in the world to be able to, on the fly, provide your dog a reward. Yeah, yeah, no, it, it, I think it would be great. I, I would love to know. I, I'll have to listen to that. I'm really excited about that because I've had success with this, and I've had success with this in service animals. So, you know, a lot of times we're trying to train a marker. I mean, I, and, and a lot of scent work trainers will do this too. You know, I pick whatever the dog seems to be, you know, more 
more apt to do. You know, maybe they, they like to vocalize, and we're going to use that as a marker. It has to be something the dog enjoys. They love paw. They're very paw-oriented. They love to paw. Or they love to, you know, nose you or sit or, you know, whatever whatever it is that we need to use as a marker instead of training one, you know, having the dog down or having the dog sit or having, you know, or, or maybe they, they want the dog to bark, but that's not going to be as effective. The dog loves to paw. And the second they see that your blood sugar is spiking, you're already building that into it. I mean, they love to paw anyway. They know they're going to get a reward. And now they get to claw the crap out of you. Um, <laughs> because, no, I, I, I mean, it's very effective when the dog chooses these, these, these. I mean, it adds an the additional rein, the reward, the reinforce, and it becomes a reinforcer. It's really, really interesting. Well, I mean, you look at it. All of herding is choosing their reward. Well, yeah, but that's I mean, a really, really high value reward. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> but only for. I mean, that's that's the reason that when we have a dog who won't turn on the sheep, we can't herd with them. You know, if you don't have a dog who will run over ground glass to get to the sheep and it, people are like, well, I want to make it into a herding dog. I'm like, well, you, you can put obedience on it in the, in the presence of sheep, but you're, that's never going to be a herding dog. They have to be willing to run over ground glass to get to that, to that sheep to, to, to work. And if they don't have it, you, you put any pressure on them and they're out. They're like, see ya. <laughs> you know, I, I have an urban herding solution for that, Leanne. What, what is that? You, well, you know, you know my my whole my whole. I mean, you're you're having to be a conductor the whole time. Uh, yeah, but, but there you go, there you go. No, and that's that's fine. That's that's what I call obedience on sheep. That's what many non non border collie dogs. Do. Yeah, 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 yeah. No, no, I agree. I agree. That's exactly what it is. Yeah. Okay, so so what? Um, let's see. Is there anybody else that kind of blew both of our minds? I'm looking at my list here. Or your uh, mind? Let's see. Because that, that was just me geeking out. Um, you didn't see Jim Crosby's dog bite interpretation, have you seen no, that yet? No, no, I is, didn't. It had a warning. It had a warning that it was like scary. (laughs) Oh my god, that was that was intense. Uh, We'll maybe save that for. (laughs) (laughs) I'll have to watch it and then we can talk about it. (laughs) Oh my gosh, that was intense. That was tough for me. I love Lori Stevens, but I'd love to talk about you. I'd love to talk uh, about Lori Stevens talk with you. Hers was fitness for life and sport. Oh yeah, I definitely want to see that because you know I'm kind of a geek about that sort of stuff. I'm a huge Lori Stevens fan anyway. I absolutely adore her work and she focuses a lot i think you'll like her because she focuses a lot on movement for confidence and that's another technique that i like to use i'm big into wobble boards and you know any kind of balance pods i love doing that work um uh, for confidence building not for balance not for fitness but for actual confidence work um because i believe uh and, and, and she shares this belief that uh Movement, and I see it at the shelter. A lot of dogs, you know, when you're not talking about a purebred dog, the gate is almost always off. 
Um, and you're better at spotting that than I am. I mean, Leanne can can watch a dog move, and and she can tell me precisely, uh, you know, what's off with that movement. Well, I'm I'm always trying to get better at that. You're very good at that. Well, I'm trying uh, to get better all the time too. Yeah. Well, you spend a lot more time getting better at it than I do. I just say, oh, I should get better. There, there's my lazy training. One day I should uh, <laughs> do a little research on that, but it looks a little off. I don't know what. I can't identify it, but something's not right about that dog. Um, so, so yeah, but, um, you know, movement makes a big difference. And we get a lot of puppies and, and adult dogs and seniors who cannot move, you know. They, um, they, they don't even realize there's a whole other back end to them. Oh, and, yeah. And by... By teaching them, uh, and, and if you think about it, it's very complicated. You move a front foot, you move a back foot. I mean, there's a lot going on there. Um, by teaching them the ability to, to move um, and to have rear end awareness, you, um, in a way, you improve their, their, their flight capacity. And yeah. when you do that, uh, you empower a fearful dog. And I, I, think it's, I, I think it's very effective. It's very fascinating. And she did some really... The whole, if you're not a trainer, if you were to watch this, you would probably want a step-by-step on how she does every exercise because it's mostly just an hour of her flashing exercise after exercise after exercise. Uh, but she doesn't explain how the, how she trains them. She just shows you every exercise. But it is really fun. It is really fun. And, and I, so it's interesting because that, we're going to go down a little bit of a rabbit hole, but so when I, I, I see, I've seen several dogs come in, into my, into my practice and they've come in with serious issues with, um, gait. One was a, a dog who was extraordinarily, uh, human and, but, uh, well, somewhat human reactive, but extraordinarily dog reactive. And the dog had already had two surgeries on his knee and was in, in, line for a third they had adopted it it then spent like three months in in the the it spent three months in the pound because it got distemper in the i mean the poor dog had just a car wreck of a life and the dog came to me about a year and a half and it still and i told him i wouldn't work with it because the dog was still incredibly crippled behind and i said whoever fixed this knee did an absolute shit job you need to take this dog back to the humane society you got it from and get this dog fixed because the dog's in too much pain and then I, so they did, they went back in and now we're able to finally work with the dog because yes, they found out that the suture had broken and the dog no longer had a joint. The other dog was a, the, was a serious aggression case that I declined to take A, because I don't take serious aggression cases and B, because the dog was absolutely crippled behind. And, and I sent you that video <laughs> where my voice is high pitched and I sound yeah. terrified because the dog yeah. was freaking committed yeah. to murdering me man yeah that was the i've never it. been that worried about a dog he was that was not messing around but the dog when i watched him move from his movement i'm like this dog doesn't even have a hip joint i mean there's yeah. i suspected the dog had either been hit by a car or had dysplasia to the point where the ball and socket no longer functioned and the dog was completely unstable it was probably an 80 pound pit bull there was no way that there was enough muscle in the area to sustain this dog's weight and I did ask her uh when she decided to keep this dog and deal with it on her own I did ask her to take it to the vet and get x-rays um and when she did the dog had bilateral um like 
through the roof hip dysplasia. Like there was no ball, no or no socket. Gosh. The, the, the the actual uh, one hip was you, completely you called it. I was completely she, yeah. yeah. One was dislocated, and the other one there was nothing there. They ended up euthanizing the dog under anesthesia, mm. and. And I and but I thought exactly the same thing that you were discussing is that there's if flight if you're even slightly worried, and flight is off the table, aggression is the last recourse. Yeah, and and that makes sense to me. I mean, if you were walking down an alley, and a scary person comes around the corner, you you can run away. But if suddenly you can't run away, you're gonna have no other choice but to turn and, and like make a big scene and scare that person away. And so I absolutely think that we we as trainers, and I know most trainers do, really need to focus on on movement and proprioceptive ability. A lot of these dogs have no capacity to understand that they even have a rear end and ensure that these dogs know that they have those those abilities at their disposal. Yeah. And yeah. yeah. So cause, and, and I and I also think that confidence is gained and you and you and I are kind of similar like this. We're both athletic and if anybody's ever run a marathon, it, it, training for a marathon sucks. I mean, unless you're like a super runner, which I'm not, and I suspect you're not either. Um, it's, <laughs> nope. it's, it's pretty misery inducing. <laughs> it's hideous. And, and every day that you go out, you're kind of scared. I mean, you're like, oh, today's, you know, mile one, you know, I could run a whole mile. And you're like, oh my God, it's like running. Yeah, I might as well just die now. And by the time, by the time you finally face that marathon, 26.2 miles seems like, oh, now I can do this. And I, my personal belief is that if you had a person who maybe had some, um, deficits when it came to confidence, I think just doing something like running a marathon or doing a triathlon or, you know, I don't know, writing a book, any of those things that, that does generalize mm-hmm. that you are now, you, you conquered some shit, man. I mean, you ran a marathon. There are not a lot of people on the planet who can say that. I mean, there are, we always say, oh, it's 10,000 people running the New York marathon. 10,000 people is a drop in the bucket. Ask most people and they're like, a marathon? That sounds like the worst day of my life. And, and it's the same thing with these dogs. I think that learning to manipulate their feet, yeah, it's positive reinforcement training, which is incredibly powerful just by itself. If you're using shaping, I think shaping is, is even more powerful. And then on top of that, you're giving them balance exercises and you're letting them overcome scary things. Even if it's like stepping up on something that may be a little unstable or just something that's not the flat surface they're used to. You're, I agree with you 100%. And I, mm-hmm. most of my, much of my training for anxiety dogs starts off with free shaping and learning to put feet on things so that it can start to understand that the world, you can walk on it. You can own it. Well, Lori starts off her, her uh, talk with showing several videos of dogs on a uh, hiking trail. And, and these dogs are, it's, it's a, a very steep trail and it's very rocky. And she shows a before and then she shows an after. And the confidence level in these dogs is phenomenal. I mean, it is, I mean, it's a whole different dog down the trail. And I think, you know, I think that we've looked at, you know, and, and I do think there's a correlation between these dogs with these serious behavioral issues and, and gait and, you know, other movement issues. And I think we've attributed it to pain. Um, and I don't think, I think that's only half of the story. Yeah. So, yeah, yeah, it's, it's, 
it's always been a passion of mine. It's something that I want to incorporate into our uh, shelter, actually, is a, a whole fitness program. I want our vets identifying dogs that have gait issues, and I want our behavior team on the floor uh, to correct those issues. So... And it'd be awesome to see how that works. Yeah. I mean, that's the cool thing about having a shelter is you're able to look at multiple dogs and say, okay, we did XYZ intervention on 100 dogs and we found X, you know, XYZ solution. Yeah. I mean, that's, I don't get to do that. I have one at a time and I've got, you know, clients who may or may not be complying and it, it's a lot harder for me. And, and, and we all know that we have um, confirmation bias. You know, we, we will believe the things that agree with our with our belief system mm-hmm. you know that that's we all we all are in danger of confirmation bias so yeah i i'm gonna have to watch i'm gonna have to watch that one yeah i think you'll really enjoy it okay so you didn't see this one but you know who at least we're talking about this is hannah brannigan's again uh-huh. at 6 a.m what the hell um <laughs> like this just cruelty um, and again, it was, it was performance. It was training for optimal performance. I listen to Hannah's uh, podcast, Drinking from the Toilet. I recommend it to anybody on earth. It's, it's thousand million amazing. It's just fantastic. She's a geek. She's, uh, I have like a total girl crush on her. Um, and you, you listen to it as well. I know you geek out yep. on it as well. Yep, totally and, love it. And she talks, and she talks... She she is really about clean mechanics of the trainer. She's all very much focused on clean mechanics from the minute that you start tr- your training episode or or system to the end and that everything is is perfect and in place and it's a well-oiled machine and she's talked about it and on her podcast multiple times and I I thought I understood it and then I watched her in this in this webinar and my mind was blown it, it she clearly she puts more thought into a single training session than honest to god I probably put into my entire dog's career and it shows it's beautiful it is the the end of every behavior chain ends where it needs to start to do the next one it is it is it is yeah so her so her marker the positioning of her reward puts the dog in position for the next thing so as an example if she was doing weave poles she would send the dog through the weave poles put the dog on the tug as the reward at the end um, take the tug and the dog with the tug back to the beginning of the weave poles and send the dog again so that the dog never has that checkout moment. And we know from training beginners that that is the biggest thing that they struggle with is that checkout, is that you say sit, the dog sits, the owner finds the food, they feed the food to the dog, and now the dog walks off. And they're constantly having to bribe their dog back. You know, you're seeing them kind of say, yes, I've had them use clickers, like click. I'm like, what are you doing? I'm getting his attention. Uh, I'm that's like, the oh. worst. Oh. I know. I'm like, you're killing me here. Um, or saying their name 1500 times, which is also watch me. I see, I hear, I don't teach watch me. Um, but for people who do train, watch me, you'll hear them say that a lot. Watch me, watch me, watch me. And I'm like, okay, your dog dozed off. And, and what this does is it cleans that up to the point where that doesn't, that's not there, that there's that 
that checkout opportunity never comes into play. And so the dog is constantly either about to be cued, doing the behavior, or receiving the reward for the behavior. And there's there's no room for that checkout and having to buy your dog back in into it was it was beautiful to watch. I could watch her train all day and totally geek out on it and realize, wow, I'm crap <laughs> compared to this. Oh my God. <laughs> it's a huge reality check. <laughs> And just how sloppy a trainer I am, <laughs> to be honest. <laughs> oh. I can't wait to watch it. Well, it's, you know, it's awesome. How much do you think that has to do with endurance? Endurance? Tra- no, training endurance. Not like athletic <laughs> endurance, but endurance, you know? I mean, I mean, that's something that can be trained. It's something that should be trained. I think somebody talked about endurance and training. And our- Are you talking about the dog or the human? <laughs> Because I the think neither dog. one. I mean, I guess the human too. <laughs> no, I, yes, I, I agree. And I think I suspect that, yes, it would build endurance into the dog. The other thing I would think it would do, which would be very, very powerful, is it would, it would teach the dog that I think a lot of people really have really struggle with understanding that training is a very finite period of time, that it, it starts at a very it starts when I say ready and it ends when I say all done. And that in that middle ground, you should, the dog should be completely 100% engaged on your, on every uh-huh. move that you make. Uh-huh. And, and that is endurance in the attention aspect, but she builds it in such a way that we try to get it. Uh, when I say we, I say people with not beautiful, amazing mechanics who are wow, p- normal people like me, um, we we build it by by trying to use animation and excitement and just the drive for the thing to uh-huh. keep to keep things pretty whereas she's she you know i think she's worked with some pretty low she works with a lot of dogs and i think uh-huh. she's worked with some low energy dogs she doesn't just buy border collies like we do cheating you know well you don't have border collies you don't cheat either um and i I, and and i (laughs) opposite of cheating with my sighthounds yeah you have totally opposite so but because of that she she's found a way to create a level of engagement where the dog really doesn't have an opportunity to kind of just check out and so you're not constantly with the dog coming and going and coming and going and coming and going the dog is there because it's something's always happening and it's you who's driving the bus as it were um i really struggle with dice dice and i we've had a really rocky relationship since the minute i got him and he's got fear and he's got wacko border stuff border collie stuff and he has a sniffing habit and so i'm going to try to see if i can use that system which means I had to really plan ahead, which we know how that will, how that might work, to see if I can get him to keep engaged because he is notorious for take for for I want to work, then I pay him for the work, and then he he's like instantly gone because he's worried and things went by and maybe a bird chirped or you know mm-hmm. who knows mm-hmm. and so he's always looking for a way out of training, and I'm I'm thinking this might be a another method to put in that layer cake that I'm trying to build to see if I can get this dog through a whole rally competition without without him falling apart on me. Um, 
with a dog like him. Because if I can do it with a dog like him, there's not a dog on the planet I can't do it with. Because this dog is committed to checking out. And um, and I've tried everything that I have at my disposal. And because um, he's frightened of play and he's frightened of toys unless it's under his... I mean, he's just... He's got a lot of... He's a weird, weird dog. So it, it'll be interesting to see if I can if I can do clean, beautiful loops, if I can get that done. And I just... I was... I was blown away. And again, because it was six in the morning, I'm going to have to watch it again in daylight. Well, I can't wait for that one. That'll be fun. I love her. I just love Hannah Brannigan. No, I do too. I do. Like I said, I have a total crush on her. So, um, yeah, it's amazing. And like I said, if anybody wants, listens to our, listen, needs to listen to a podcast, it's freaking amazing. Um, yeah, she's, she's amazing. So, so the next, so I guess our last question, is there anything else that you totally geeked out on that, uh, we haven't gone over? I don't think so. I don't think so. I think that was the main, there were some shelter specific. I liked some of the shelter cat ones, but I won't bore you with the cat talk. (laughs) Uh, well, I did spend a whole day at a veterinary conference talking about cat behavior and cat behavior is freaking fascinating, but but we don't need to go into that. So, um, (laughs) so um how let's i guess here's the question i guess we can and then we'll finish up so what you we both have the recordings we both have access to the full recordings and we can go back and revisit them and, and watch them again or watch ones we didn't get a chance to watch the first time so obviously i'll be watching the one that you were just talking about whose name i already forgot uh Lori stevens Lori stevens i'm definitely going to watch that's definitely next on my list so do you have one on your list that you're like, I'm going to definitely watch this? Oh, I, I, I enjoyed Jen's talk. I, I kind of want to see that again. Um, I think Pattern Games I need to watch again. Uh, I missed a couple of shelter-specific ones that were like at 6 in the morning. Hannah Brannigan is actually at the top of my list, I want to say. Oh, I yeah. was really disappointed that I missed her, her talk. Because uh, I would have loved to be on the question and answer for her, for her. Oh my God, the question and answer. Because the great thing was everybody yeah. there was already a geek, and so the the, the questions and answers were, oh, they were so illuminating. They were amazing. They were yeah. amazing, and because they did cover the whole, well, what do you do with the puppy class? Because that was my first question. Well, okay, how do you do this with beginners? And she, because that's what she does. She's trained a bunch of beginners, and and she did do classes for a long time. So. Yeah. You know, this is definitely within her wheelhouse. So, uh-huh. um, so we'll have to come back and, and kind of we'll have to watch these and we'll geek out on them in the future. So yeah. um, it looks like we went really long, not only with the electrical out, outlet, but just because of our geekery. So we'll probably split this into two separate <laughs> recordings. <laughs> we'll have A and B or B and, or one and two. Um, but thank you very much, Maggie, for joining oh, us. You. Oh, my God. It was such a fantastic conversation. And yes. it was an amazing conference. And uh, it looks like they're going to do it again in 2021, at the end of 2021. So I'm yeah, totally, I saw that. that totally was cool. psyched about that. And yeah, it's going to be amazing. So it was wonderful watching it, quote unquote, with you, like being able to text message you in between. The classes <laughs> yeah, <it was> fun. <laughs> so we could pretend that it was a real conference, like real people uh, in, during this time of nothing happening. So thank you very, very much for coming on. And uh, I can't wait to talk to you again. Have a good one. And thank you very much. Thank you.